I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Many Christians believe that nothing really important happened after the events of the New Testament. But ancient Christians had a lot of courage, a lot of faith, and some important lessons. For modern-day Christians today, especially during this Christmas season. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, we are absolutely thrilled to have joining us on the program today, Jason Combs is an assistant professor of ancient scripture at Brigham Young University, and Mark Ellison, uh, who's an associate professor of ancient scripture at Brigham Young University. And this is an interview that I have been looking forward to uh, since the moment I saw this book was coming out a couple of months ago. Uh, the title of the book is Ancient Christians, uh, and it is an introduction for Latter-day Saints. Uh, and as I have looked at this and, and had a chance to dive into it, uh, I think it is not just for Latter-day Saints. I think it's for all Christians. I think it's for all people. And as we approach this Christmas season, uh, this is an extraordinary work, an inviting way to learn about early Christianity and history, and uh, thrilled to have both Jason and Mark join us on the program today. Gentlemen, thanks for uh, making time for us on a very snowy day. <laughs> Thank you so much, Boyd. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Boyd. Wonderful. Jason, let me start with you and, and give us just a little bit of the backstory. Uh, this was this is no small work and no small task uh, that you have done in, in creating this. Uh, it really is a, a work that is historical. It's a theological window into Christianity's uh, first six centuries. And the thing I love about it, and it's right in the, the opening and that is this invitation to encounter these ancient followers of Jesus Christ, to hear what they heard, see what they saw, understand how they worshiped, and learn what they believed. Uh, it's really a, an extraordinary journey. So give us some of the backstory to this. Yeah, uh, thanks for the question. The, um, this book, all of us have often described it as a labor of love. Uh, this book came about because all of the authors and editors are trained in the history of Christianity or in ancient history more broadly, and discovered as they explored ancient Christian writings that they came to love these, these ancient Christians, uh, who we refer to in our book as our spiritual ancestors. And as we engaged with their writings, we realized that the more we learned about the history of Christianity, the more we gained new insights about our own beliefs and yeah. practices today and that we could come to better appreciate the practices and beliefs of other Christians that might differ from ours. So, yeah, that's, that's really why we wrote it, and, and it was just such a, such a pleasure to write it and to think with these ancient Christian ancestors of ours. Uh, it's so powerful, and as, as you dive into this, uh, and Mark, let me go to you now, uh, you, you really do get into beliefs, practices, but you also get into art and architecture and symbols. Uh, give us some. Give us a little window into that. Yeah, I'm so glad that you uh, you noticed that and appreciated that. Uh, we really wanted to make that an intentional part of this volume. Most history writing uh, 
when it comes to talking about ancient Christians has been based on textual evidence, but uh, increasingly in recent decades, more and more historians have been turning to material artifacts and architecture and visual art. Those are also part of the ancient record, and they can help us understand the ancient Christians and kind of step into their world and, like you said, see what they saw. Uh, and so Catherine Taylor, one of the uh, co-editors who, who has a Ph.D. in ancient Christian art, and, and I, who also have some training in early Christian art, uh, we work together to assemble and curate a, a host of uh, pictures of, of ancient Christian artifacts and visual art and write captions for them that would uh, represent lots of access points for the reader into the text that help enrich the educational experience of reading this text and just being able to see the kinds of things ancient Christians saw and produced that were part of their visual culture. Our um, designer of the book, Andrew Heiss, just did a fabulous job with uh, helping to put together these color images along with um, text boxes and maps and charts that make the book, uh, we hope, really engaging visually. Yeah, it, it is It is so accessible. And so you, it really does pull you in. So there, there are so many visuals in the book that, I mean, just some of them take your breath away. And I'll admit, uh, I've gone through sometimes and I've just scanned the pictures and just stopped. And some of those have been just breathtaking or thought-provoking. And so I love the way that you've incorporated that uh, into this whole book and this whole it, – It's an ex- this is not a book. This is an experience, uh, which is my favorite oh, kind of book. That's wonderful. That's exactly what we hoped would happen for readers. I love that you described it as accessible because that was another key goal of ours from the beginning – each chapter is written by by a specialist I mentioned, but we also had uh, specialists who are outside of our Latter-day Saint faith examine each chapter for us and give us feedback. And then in addition to that, we invited lots of other people to read the chapters uh, just to read it for, for the purpose of telling us whether it was accessible, whether yeah. they understood the way we were writing about sometimes really challenging topics, such mm-hmm. as the history of the nature of God, or the development of the ritual of baptism over time. Uh, I, I love that, and uh, it, it, it's such a, an interesting way to, to get at all of this. And so I want to jump into a couple of specific components to this. And, and Jason, let me come back to you on this part. In terms of what are some of the things that most of us just don't really understand or appreciate? I always say going, you know, going back in history is like visiting a foreign country. Uh, you, you have to be real careful when you go there. You should you should tread lightly. Uh, often we try to project you know, our great enlightened <laughs> state today, uh, and we miss that. But what is it that people are missing? Uh, when it comes to looking at uh, the early Christians? Yeah, that is a great way of setting it up, because history, going back in time, is really like going to another country. I think one example I could point to is, is an example from my chapter on the nature of God. One of the things that you encounter a challenge with when you go to another country is language. Mm. And being familiar with the language can help you to understand things better. And if you're trying to understand the language using Google Translate, you may miss a few key things. Word-for-word translations rarely do exactly what we want them to. Well, the same is true with the history of Christian theology. Uh, Christians over history developed very particular ways about describing God. And other Christian groups, for example, our own Christian tradition, being uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, 
we've really developed our own vocabulary of talking about God. We tend to describe God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit as the Godhead. Other Christians would use the term Trinity. And oftentimes, we assume, as Latter-day Saints, that the Trinity means something like God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ are all one person. Well, it turns out that's not what early Christians meant by the Trinity at all. In fact, that early Christians uh, said that that was a heresy, and that the early Christian belief in the Trinity, as described in, say, the Council of Nicaea, or a later Christian council, the Council of Chalcedon, was that God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit are three distinct persons and one God. Uh, so it's actually a lot more similar to what Latter-day Saints would say, at least in that regard, than what we have often assumed. Uh, that is uh, so powerful uh, and, and such an important way. We always talk about staying curious, uh, and I think this is this book spawns so many questions and, and sparks so many uh, interesting conversations. Uh, I love that. And we're going to do just that. We're going to stay with the conversation uh, and keep this going. We're uh, so pleased to have Jason Combs, an associate assistant professor of ancient scripture at Brigham Young University, and Mark Ellison, uh, an associate professor of ancient scripture also at BYU. And uh, we're going to continue this conversation as we as we move forward. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. If you're just joining us, we're continuing our conversation about a most extraordinary book. It's called Ancient Christians, an introduction for Latter-day Saints. And I think it is not just for Latter-day Saints. I think it's for anyone interested in ancient Christians and uh, Christianity. It is just a powerful, inviting way to be very curious uh, about another time and other disciples and followers of Jesus Christ as we approach Christmas. Uh, this is just a, an amazing work. Uh, we have uh, some of the authors and editors, Jason Combs, uh, Assistant Professor of Ancient Scripture at Brigham Young University, Mark Ellison, an Associate Professor of Ancient Scripture at Brigham Young University as well. Gentlemen, we want to pick up the conversation here. And Mark, I'm going to go to you now because I want to get into an area that you write about in the book, and that is connecting with Christ uh, and how some of the ancient ways of, of both rituals and worship and some of the things that we should learn and uh, understand and take away from that. Oh, yeah. Thank you for asking about that. Uh, for me, this subject is just so fascinating, just studying uh, ways ancient Christians ritually connected with God and Christ and connected with each other as a faith community and, and sought to emulate Christ in the transformed lives. Uh, this is what ritual does. It can, through actions and ceremony, collapse the distance between us and God and between us in the present and events in the past. And uh, we do this in our own simple ways in Latter-day Saint worship, in uh, the, like partaking of the sacrament, uh, what other Christians call the Eucharist or communion, um, and through baptism and through our personal individual rituals of prayer. 
And so in that chapter, I wrote about prayer, hymn singing, baptism, and Eucharist, or, or communion or the sacrament, and tried to explore each one and how Christians were using these in ways to connect with Christ and to connect with each other. And I was over and over again just so moved personally, uh, not just as a historian and an observer, but as a believer as well. Uh, in, in just the ways uh, that early Christians were thinking about this uh, with such profound insight. For example, just I'll share one. With the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer that uh, Jesus gave in, in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, early Christians thought about that. By the end of the first century, they were reciting it in their daily prayers, and they recognized that every single line of the prayer calls to mind moments from Jesus' own life and his teachings and ministry. And so when they prayed this thoughtfully, it was sort of a guided meditation and reflection that guided them in thinking about Jesus and being drawn into emulating him in their day. Um, and, and for me, uh, I've, I've approached that with uh, what Christopher Stendhal calls uh, holy envy. I've mm -hmm. just learned from that. It's blessed me in my own prayer life. And at times when I have felt just in so much turmoil or distress or anxiety in my own life, and I haven't even known what to pray. Yeah. I've turned to the words of the Lord's Prayer and just thought about each line and let that guide me. And uh, I feel like my, my spiritual ancestors of ancient Christianity have reached across the centuries and really helped me. Uh, I, I love that connection. It, it really becomes that community of Christ. Uh, across the centuries, and I love that connection uh, to the ancient and how they use those rituals both to gather uh, as a community of Christ to, to reinforce that. Jason, in terms of how they did gather and how they did connect that way uh, in unity uh, or as fellow disciples on that uh, journey, uh, what have we learned about that part of that? Well, Christians gathered originally just in, in homes uh, when they were just a, a few members scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And over time, as, they, as Christians uh, spread the message about, about Jesus, they grew and eventually were able to build these beautiful basilicas. And we have a chapter in here by, by Professor Matt Gray uh, that, that charts that course and how they ended up building these beautiful, beautiful cathedrals, beautiful basilicas later on in history uh, that, that reflect some of the imagery of the ancient Jerusalem temple and also reflect some of the imagery of Jesus Christ's sacrifice uh, upon the cross. Mm. Now, in terms, of, uh, in terms of how Christians gathered, uh, Christians in the past, just as Christians today, didn't always agree with each other. Right. Uh, and I think that's something that, that our book does really well. Uh, we acknowledge, as we work through each of these different theological and historical topics, that sometimes Latter-day Saints will have beliefs or practices today that differ from those of other Christians today or that differ from those of ancient Christianity. But as, as Mark just said a moment ago, we approach these through uh, what Christopher Stendhal has called holy envy. Uh, Christopher Stendhal was a Protestant minister and, and uh, a renowned New Testament scholar who worked at Harvard Divinity School for a number of years. And then, and then when he was uh, living in Stockholm, Sweden, he actually invented that term holy envy because the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was trying to build a temple in Stockholm, Sweden, and a number of people there did not want that temple. And Christopher Stendhal spoke up uh, on behalf of the Latter-day Saints, uh, even though he was not one, and said that, that the people of Stockholm should allow the Church to build a temple, 
and encouraged people to develop this attribute that he called holy envy. And he described himself as having holy envy for some of the practices of Latter-day Saint temples. In particular, he was talking about baptism for the dead. Mm. He said that's not something that was in his faith, but it was something that he appreciated to the point that he could describe it as envy, but not envy in a negative sense, a a holy envy. And so, and so that's how we tend to approach things in this book. We, we point out, for, for instance, in my chapter on the nature of God, uh, there are certainly things that Latter-day Saints believe about God uh, that are different, different from what other Christians believe. Uh, for instance, Latter-day Saints affirm that God the Father has a body. Some ancient Christians did believe that God the Father had a body. Others did not. And so we approach that from this perspective of holy envy and trying to understand why it is that some ancient Christians developed this idea that God did not have a body. Yeah, it, it's so powerful. And, and just some of the topics, uh, I know a lot of our listeners are going to want to get out and order that, and you can do that on Amazon, by the way. Uh, again, the uh, the title is Ancient Christians, an Introduction for Latter-day Saints. And just some of the pieces there, uh, you mentioned uh, Matt Gray. Uh, his chapter is Sacred Spaces and Places of Worship. And uh, as I went through that chapter, I just kept thinking of Winston Churchill's comment that we shape our buildings and then our buildings shape us. Uh, and there's so much in the uh, the ancient, and you've included such great visuals on all of those. And uh, some of the other chapters are, are just so amazing in terms of, uh, again, really understanding that we are fellow travelers with these ancient Christians that were all on this journey. Uh, and the the connection for me was the important part of, of the experience of this book. Again, this is not just a book you read. This is an experience uh, to get into. Gentlemen, I want to ask each of you, before we let you go, because I'd keep you on and we'd uh, do a, a seven-hour program on this. There's so many pieces to, <laughs> to get into. But the one question I want to ask both of you, this is a massive work. It, this is a, uh, a big bite and a long chew, as we say. I want to know, in this whole process of bringing this together, what was it that surprised you, either about the ancient Christians or what they did or how they did it? Uh, there had to be some either wow moments, some aha moments. What were the surprise moments? And Mark, let's start with you. Oh, boy. I, I think uh, for me, it, it, it was not just uh, surprises that happened during the three years or so we were working on this book, but uh, just over 20-plus years that I've been fascinated with studying early Christianity over and over again. I have found depth and riches where I did not expect to find them. I've, I've had to broaden my thinking and adjust my paradigm. Um, I think for many of us Christians who uh, either are Protestant or, or grow out of the seedbed of Protestantism, we've sort of inherited this idea that after the New Testament, uh, not much interesting, interesting stuff happens until the Reformation. And that's just not <laughs> true. There were devout, thoughtful followers of Christ throughout the centuries. And so uh, that was uh, the wonderful surprise for me over and over again. Um, to just share one quick example, uh, I was so touched of reading a treatise that was written by a bishop in North Africa in about the mid-200s, as he described what his baptism experience was like. And he described how he felt before his baptism, how he felt he was held in bonds of his innumerable errors, and he didn't feel like he could possibly be delivered. But then when uh, he was baptized, he said, the help of the water of new birth uh, washed away the stain of former years, and a light from above was infused into my heart 
Hmm. And then wonderful things started to happen in his life. Doubtful things started to assure themselves. And what had been thought impossible started to feel capable of being achieved. And his life was transformed. And I, as I read that, I just thought, that's like my life. God has touched my life in those ways. And so, boy, short answer, uh, the big surprise for me was over and over again discovering kinship with these mm. people from the ancient distant past. Awesome. Jason, a uh, quick surprise moment for you. Yeah, I would just echo Mark's words. Uh, the surprise for me has been finding that kinship. Mm. Or reading their words, I continuously found ideas and teachings that resonated deeply with me. Uh, I conclude my chapter on on the nature of God, on the Trinity, or the Godhead, uh, by quoting some of the words of uh, Gregory Nazianzus, who was an, an early Christian. But in one of his writings, he reflects a little bit about why he does the work he does, why he spends so much time trying to understand the nature of God. And here's what he wrote. In my opinion, the true essence and nature of God will be discovered when, when that within us, which is godlike and divine, I mean our mind and reason, shall have mingled with its like, and the image of God, you and I, shall have ascended to the archetype, to God himself, of which it now has the desire, and we shall know even as we are known. He's quoting from mm. 1 Corinthians at the end of that. Yeah. But this idea that this, this, this time spent reflecting on beliefs, on, on trying to understand God, on trying to understand how uh, this world works, on, on what it means to be human in this world, and how we relate to each other and to, and to life beyond this life. Time spent invested in that is time spent connecting with what is beyond, connecting with God, connecting with those around us. Yeah. And that's really ultimately what we hope this book will do. We hope that by better understanding ancient Christians, we will be better equipped to dialogue with each other. Yeah, um, it's so good. Uh, and, and this is one of those, uh, as I said before, this is an experience. And so this is a, a book that you don't read once and stick on your shelf. Uh, this is a, uh, a river of never-ending possibilities and ideas and principles to be explored Uh, If you ever want to stay curious about your faith, dive into this. Again, the book is called Ancient Christians. It's an introduction for Latter-day Saints. I think it is for everybody uh, who wants to understand ancient Christians and that connection, that discipleship connection uh, on that journey to discipleship is, is just most extraordinary. Jason Combs, Mark Ellison, thank you both so much for joining us today. Fantastic conversation. We'll have you back to continue this, this conversation as we move it forward. But thank you. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much, Poy. Great insight there. Uh, great opportunity to pick that up. Uh, ancient, uh, looking at that ancient Christianity is such a, an interesting thing. And the way this book is constructed is uh, just super powerful. It's not a read. Uh, it is an experience. Uh, and I love things that are put together that way. Very, very unique. Worth checking out today. All right, we'll step aside for bottom of the hour news. Uh, when we come back, much more on Insight Sources here on KSL News Radio. Stick around. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.